welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Yesterday, as some of you know, we had a memorial service for our beloved friend and fellow O'Killian, Amy Meyer. Many of you knew Amy, and if you didn't know her, you regularly saw her because on a regular basis, she stood on this stage and she led us in worship many, many times over the years. And she led us with passion. She led us with unhindered joy. And when she wasn't on the stage leading worship, she was right over here worshiping with the same passion and the same unhindered joy. Yesterday's service to celebrate her life was, in my mind, rather unique and quite amazing. And I want to explain why. Amy was full of the love and hope and fire of God. His heart naturally poured out of her wherever she went. And again, many of you experienced it when you encountered her here or in a small group or wherever. And that that fire of God, that love of God, that hope in God that poured out of her uh, made a difference and left a mark on her family, on her friends, on her neighborhood, and on her co-workers. They were deeply impacted by who she was and how she Lived, And this was all on display yesterday at the service. This may sound strange, but yesterday's service, though obviously full of grief and sadness and tears, was at the same time full of hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean wishful thinking. I mean substantial, beautiful, truth-based hope. Amy trusted Jesus in her life. So we gathered together yesterday and trusted Jesus with her death. And you could feel the hope in the room. You could hear the hope as people vigorously and unhindered poured out their hearts in worship to God. You could hear the hope as friends came up here and shared about the impact of Amy's unquenchable spirit and unconditional love. And I have to say, odd as this may sound, Amy's celebration of life service yesterday was one of the more hopeful experiences I've had in recent months. I know this sounds weird, but her memorial service pulsated with good news. Now, for obvious reasons, nearly all of us are starved for good news. Anything that's good, any good news at all, something that breathes life into us and encourages us. It's hard these days not to feel trapped under a cloud of discouragement, overwhelmed by what seems like unrelenting and ceaseless bad news. Fires, hurricanes, Afghanistan, pandemic fatigue, anger over masks on or masks off, uncertainty about the future, heated conflicts over everything, social media hatred, political divisiveness that has reached vitriolic levels, and most discouraging of all, at least to me, Christians segregating into their preferred camps, bickering with each other, judging each other, and each camp insisting they have the heart and mind of Jesus on whatever issue is in debate. It's like unprecedented insanity 
Now, it's Labor Day weekend. The fall is upon us. We're standing on the cusp of a new season. This is one of those times of year where it feels like the beginning of something new. There's three or four of those throughout the year. Fall is one of them. Labor Day weekend uh, is kind of a last hurrah. And then the schedule, which is already up and running, is really up and running after Labor Day. And I need to tell you where I'm at these days. I need something new to replace all this old we've been dealing with for so long. Or let me say it this way. I know that I need some good news. I need something encouraging to lift my head off of the chaos and the conflict and the pandemic and the, the vitriol. And that something jumped out at me from the scripture reading today. It's a verse I came across and it just grabbed me. And that something that strikes me as good news and something encouraging is hope. Now, in this kind of world, at this point in time, hope just might seem absurd, a pipe dream, the stuff of fictitious bedtime stories. And yet, I think the time is now for followers of Jesus to remember hope, rejoice with hope, cling to hope, and maybe most importantly of all, be carriers of hope in this discouraged world. The other night, Julie and I, we're hanging out at the end of the day and somehow stumbled across the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. It's an old movie. I get it. I've seen it a thousand times myself. I could recite lines of it. I've watched it so much. And if you haven't seen it, and I say this with the utmost respect, and I say it in Christian love, but maybe climb out from underneath that rock you're living in and watch it because it's really a good movie. I sat there the other night, riveted by this movie, I've seen many, many times. And apart from it being well-written and well-acted, I couldn't figure out why I was so hooked on this movie yet again. And as I thought about it, I think it's because the movie portrays a difficult and dark story, but in the midst of the difficulty and darkness, the key characters are sustained and carried along by this four-letter word, hope. And I kind of found our situation in this story. At one point in the movie, Andy writes a letter to his friend Red and says, Remember, Red, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. It sounds similar to a line from a letter Paul wrote to his friends in the Roman church. They, too, were struggling. They were facing difficulty. And just like in the American church, in the Roman church, different groups with different opinions on this and on that were at odds with each other. They were embroiled in all sorts of debates and disagreements. And just like today, each group claimed God was on their side. In the latter part of the book of Romans, Paul does his best to lead this Roman church through the chaos they were facing by reminding them of Jesus and of Jesus' example. And then he writes to them and says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right smack in the middle of the difficulty and the darkness, Paul says, 
Remember, my Roman friends, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. God is still God. And this entire mess is in his hands. Paul is trying to lift their eyes off of the problems, off of the chaos, and fix their attention on Jesus and on Jesus' example. And it is good for us to remember this in these days we are living. It is good for us to remember God does not get overwhelmed like we do. I had to take a car into the shop the other day to have some things diagnosed that were wrong with it. You know how this works. A few hours later, I get a call from the shop. And the guy describes to me what's wrong with the car using words I've never heard of. I asked some questions to make it seem like I knew what I was talking about and to make it seem like I knew something about broken cars. But it became clearly, very quickly, that these things I've never heard about with a car were going to cost me a fortune to fix. And kind of the tone of the guy's voice was, if we didn't get them fixed, some sort of apocalyptic crisis would ensue and the whole world would be devoured. So I hung up the phone, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the car problems, piled on top of the other life and job stuff that's already taking its toll. It was one of those face-in-the-hands moments. There have been a lot of those moments over the last 18 months for all of us. Well, hear this as clearly as I can say it. God does not get overwhelmed. He doesn't put his face in his hands. He's not rushing through the corridors of heaven these days, scratching his head, trying to figure out how to resolve all these issues in the world. We get baffled, but he doesn't. We're stressed, but he isn't. In fact, to the contrary, God is up to something good in the midst of the mess. His redemptive purposes continue to advance in the midst of the mess. Using Paul's description in our scripture reading, in the midst of all the things swirling and rattling around in this world, God remains, this great phrase he uses, the God of hope. And we can trust him in the midst of the insanity. I love this phrase, the God of hope. I hear it as good news in these dark days. The God of hope, it encourages me just to say it. The God of hope. It lifts me up and it reminds me that all is well. Because God is still God and he is up to something good. And because of who he is, we can trust him. This encourages me. It lifts me up and reminds me that God is up to something good. And because of who he is, because his word never fails... Because his resume is filled with faithfulness. Because he is with us like a loyal friend always. Because he indeed is the king over everything. Because he is indeed reigning over all things right now. Hope right now in the midst of the mess is possible. It is rational. It is logical. Hope actually makes perfect sense. And this, my friends, is just good news. 
Think about what Paul is saying. He packs these wallop words all into one sentence. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this isn't wishful thinking kind of stuff. This is God-bathed hope, God-empowered hope, God-cultivated hope. And Paul offers these encouraging words to discouraged people. May the God who gives hope fill you with all joy and peace. That is, fill you with pervasive and holistic well-being, shalom as we call it, within. So we can actually sing, it is well with my soul. Because it is. Because he's a God of hope. And confidence, it says in our Bible, trust. Confidence in God is where this well-being is cultivated, especially in the midst of messes. Confidence in God. Trusting Him in the midst of the mess is where well-being, pervasive peace, inexplicable joy gets cultivated as we trust Him in the midst of a mess. As we do this, we find a strange joy and a pervasive peace that is able to actually and authentically say, it is well with my soul. And when we experience this, the character quality of hope overflows in our being by the power of God's Spirit at work within us. And I have to say, this is what people picked up from Amy Meyer. They saw her overflowing hope. When they were around her, it was almost like, whoa, what is that? Here's what it is. It was overflowing hope. They actually felt it. And this broken and angry world desperately needs authentic and substantial hope. And if the people of Jesus are not carriers of this hope, who will be? See, the tragedy of Christians behaving badly, yelling, dividing, judging, blaming, is not only the bad example we show the world, but the good news we keep from the world. And part of that good news is that four-letter word, hope. In dark and discouraging times, we are to carry hope and dispense it wherever we go because the God of hope lives in us. So as we stand at the beginning of this fall, I want to briefly mention two ways for us to cling to hope in these challenging times. And the first way is to have hope for personal change. God is up to something in the midst of the mess. His redemptive purposes continue to advance, and that certainly has cosmic implications, but it also has personal implications. And on the personal level, it has to do with how the Spirit of God is shaping our inner being during these difficult days, how the Spirit of God is forming Christ in us, so what flows out of us is actually Christ-like. So what is God doing in me during these challenging times? What character quality is he wanting to form in me 
more deeply in these difficult days. Again, in this single verse, Paul speaks of God like he is active in the inner world of his people. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is God dynamically at work within us to bring forth the fruit of Christ-like character. What is the Spirit of God up to in us these days? What is the next chapter of your spiritual adventure? You know, if you've been around here a bit, we have a process we call the journey. And it's that time of year where we're preparing to begin another round of the journey starting in October. When people ask the question, how does Oak Hills help people do what we're talking about here? Help people experience transformation. Help people move into the next chapter of their spiritual formation. The answer will include and maybe even center on the journey experience we offer on a regular basis. It is a group of people who make a commitment to each other and to a process for a number of months. And they study They read scripture, they pray, they journal, and they open themselves up to what God wants to say and do in their inner being. It's designed to offer a vantage point where people can create some space for spiritual formation and growth. And if you're interested in finding out more, we encourage you to come to an orientation meeting. It's happening on the 12th of September. All of the particulars are in the app or on the website in terms of how to register, how to sign up, Encourage you to look at that if you're interested or simply call the office and whoever answers the phone, let them know. We're also going to have our second year of the journey that we'll be offering as well. For those who've gone through year one already, we're offering year two a way of life. And if you want more information on that, you can as well contact the church office. The other thing that is in this realm of spiritual formation and what's God doing is group spiritual direction which is a process of getting together with other people and learning how to attend to the presence of God and discern what he's saying and what he's doing in each other as you sit in that experience with others. And so if that interests you, that is going to be starting up on September 23rd. You can contact the church or reach out to Valerie Harrison. She is one of the leaders of this and would encourage you to do that. So hope for personal change. What is the Spirit of God doing in me during these difficult days? The second thing is hope for Christian unity. If you've been around me of late, if you were here last weekend, you've heard this theme sort of, if you will, overflowing out of me. And I want to talk about this a bit. It's been on my heart for a few years. It's really intensified the last 18 months, so I want to talk a bit more with you about this before we come to the communion table. The Christian church in our country, in my view, is on a rapid descent toward disunity. And yet Jesus prays in John chapter 17 for his people to be brought, and this is his phrase, to complete unity. Because when the people of God are unified in spite of their many differences, when they are together in mutual love and respect and submission, even though they have different opinions on masks and vaccines and politics and theology, when they are still together in unity, they display something unique and attractive 
in this world, and the gospel is proclaimed through the unity of Jesus' people. Christian unity in a divided world, in other words, is missional. It proclaims the kingdom, and it has a way of grabbing the attention of a hostile and divided world that naturally divides, but when the world can look at the church and say, wait, you think this way, you vote that way, you believe that, you're for this, and yet you come together under what? His name is Jesus. Where? At his table. Why? Because unity together proclaims the gospel. Jesus prayed in John 17, and we ought not miss this, that Christians down through the centuries, that's us, would be united, though different, because his power is on display when people who have differences can stand united under his reign and sit united at his table. But again, my opinion, feel free to disagree. The church in our nation is heading in the opposite direction. And there are pastors, and there are leaders, and there are churches who are advocating and inciting the division. So the church is segregating into various camps comprised of people who think and vote and believe and want the same things and generally look the same way. Camps of people who aren't different. And hear this clearly. Unity is dramatically different than uniformity. I read an article this week about all this stuff, or a couple weeks ago. And it kind of ripped me to shreds. It wasn't news to me. It was helpful because it drove this home even deeper and gave some language to it. But I found it deeply disturbing. One of the things said in this article is that in today's American church, with all the different camps and fractures, this was the thing that disturbed me. The author said, unity is becoming impossible. I can't accept that. And as long as I'm here, I want to urge us as a local church to not accept this. I've talked about this before, but pastors in Folsom have been meeting on a regular basis for decades. Pastor Kent was one of the people that got this going a million years ago, but there have been these meetings on a regular basis for 30 plus years in this town. Different churches, pastors getting together to share, to pray, to be with one another. And this has been going on all throughout the pandemic as well, twice a month. I've been part of it virtually every time, and we have been talking about the very thing that I'm talking about right here today. Every pastor that I've interacted with in this setting sees this and feels this with almost no exception. And all of this has gotten heightened in this pandemic, and pastors and Christian leaders feel this deeply. So the Folsom pastors, the ones that are part of this group, we have decided to talk about this in a public setting and push against the creeping division. And you may have got our email this week from the church announcing an event on the 20th of September. I would strongly urge you, encourage you, cajole you, plead with you, beg you 
to be here on Monday the 20th at 7 p.m. It's happening right here. It is not an Oak Hills event. It is actually a Folsom Pastors Fellowship event being held right here at Oak Hills. And it's called, pull up a chair, one of our old phrases here, a conversation on Christian unity. Oak Hills and eight other Folsom churches are participating. Eight other pastors and their churches. There are lots of differences between the pastors who meet and the churches that lead. This is not all one same thing. There are differences between us. But we're coming together to worship and most of all to have a discussion together up here, a panel discussion that I'm going to facilitate where we talk about our hope for unity and hopefully this is an example that pushes back against the disunity dividing the Christian church in our country. Hopefully it's just one sort of flicker of light that says there is a way to do this differently. So I would encourage you to write that date down. You can read the brochure. There'll be more stuff coming about this as we go forward. But I am extremely passionate about this night. We are meeting every week to kind of go through it. And every week I get an email from one or two of the pastors involved expressing how passionate they are and ready for this. And we want to do this. We know there'll be pushback. We know there'll be tension. We know some people are thinking, why are we doing this now in the middle of a pandemic? We've struggled with all of that. But the consensus of the pastors is we have to do it now because we are facing what amounts to a crisis in terms of the division that is creeping in and is the antithesis of Jesus' prayer that his people would come to complete unity. We're not suggesting this all happens in one night, but hopefully it is a start. Well, let me ask you to close your eyes, if you would, for a moment. But I want you to do something a little different when you close your eyes. I don't want you to bow your head. I'd like you actually to lift your head. And if you prefer, leave your eyes open. It makes no difference. But lift your head. As it were, look up, even if your eyes are closed. And I'd like to ask you in a sort of a stretching way to put your hands out and open them up in front of you. Let the posture of our bodies reflect the cry of our soul. We need God, and we need the God of hope. And as you sit with your head up, think of all the noise, all the chaos, all the conflict, the tragedy, the disruptions in our world, the problems throughout, the heartache from hurricanes, fires, Afghanistan. And hear the word of the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of some area of personal growth as you lifted your head. Some area that maybe Jesus is saying, let's walk together more deeply into this. Some area of spiritual formation. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
as you have your hands open and you're looking up, think of all the fear gripping people, the uncertainty, how that converts to anger, how that converts sometimes to self-centeredness. I'm going to do what I want to do, even though I follow a Jesus who gave his life away for the sake of others. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think of the Meyer family and the loss they have experienced. And we say the word of the Lord to Tim and Mary and Caleb and Rachel and Hannah and Mikey. We say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And think of Christian unity. Mutual love, mutual submission. The church of Folsom, more important than any individual church in Folsom. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask for your help. We thank you. You are the God of hope. Encourage us. Sustain us. And infect us with hope. So we carry it into the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.